Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by Photo IQ. Photo IQ offers digital photography online courses like none other of its kind. Okay, it's explained simply, concisely. There's no jargon, no overcomplications, and there are lessons for from beginner to intermediate photographer from ages 13 and up. It's the only digital photography course of its kind that offers online um, quizzes, personal feedback. You get to upload your, your homework and it'll help you build your own portfolio. It's going to be more in-depth than anything you've probably taken in high school and even if you took some like freshman level courses in college, okay? And you can do this all socially distance from home you know we're all stuck in our houses under these uh lockdown restrictions and you know some of your schools aren't open well this is a great way to learn a new skill maybe develop an alternate source of income and get that side gig starting to sort of free yourself up so what i need you to do is go to photoiq.co and use the promo code fiction get you 10% off. He offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So ditch those pathetic sunset pictures you guys have been taking. Go to photoiq.co, use promo code FICTION, and start learning how to take anything from camera basics, still life, food, landscapes, portraits, black and white, action photos, everything that you could possibly imagine. He's got a course for it. It's going to be better than anything you can find on YouTube. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right, let's get on with the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines in sunny, beautiful Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Hope everybody is doing well. It is Friday, the Friday before Christmas, and I'm pre-recording an, an episode so that you guys have some content over the holidays because I'm not going to have time to really turn on the microphone, I don't think. I mean, maybe if something really important happens, I can uh, pop on for a few minutes and give you my thoughts or whatever, but I really don't see that happening. So th this will air next week, early next week. And then we'll all have an, a nice holiday season, Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is that you celebrate. And we'll reconvene on the 28th. I'll, I'll do an episode then. So um, I think that's all the things that I have to uh, mention for the updates. And joining me today, I am very excited. He is the co-host of the Scottish Libertarian Podcast, 
author of the Universal Basic Income for and against Anthony Samaroff. Anthony, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. It's going great. Thanks, John. Good to join you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it, the, the pleasure is all mine. I've, um, you know, up until about a week uh, week ago, I didn't know too much about you. I'd come across some of your work at the Mises Institute and everything like that. I'd heard you on a podcast or two, but um, tell me. What? You mean you, you hadn't followed and read everything I've ever written and listened to all 170-ish episodes of the Scottish Liberty podcast? I, I can't not. believe it. This is an affront to my ego. <laughs> I, I did. I did start reading your book today, though, and I, I really oh, enjoyed wow, the, okay. the universal basic all, income. All, all, all is all is forgiven in that case. <laughs> so, w- what's going on with you? Because I know you're from Scotland. Yeah. Um, well, I'm staying in Florida at the moment. Before that, I was a few weeks in Mexico. Do you want to know something really crazy? You can't actually enter the USA. From the UK, if you're if you're not a US citizen, but you can enter it from Mexico. So basically, you could fly to you need you need to, you're not allowed to have been in the UK within two weeks. So you could basically fly to Mexico from the UK, go to a big COVID party, catch COVID, and then get into the USA without a test. But you're not allowed to just fly straight from Scotland. So. Um, I spent a few weeks in Mexico on a yoga retreat, actually. Um, uh, Yeah, things are a little bit more open. I also really don't like the Scottish weather, so that's one thing you can know about me. I'm I'm practically a snowbird here in Florida at this time. I feel you. I'm I'm actually from Chicago, but I've been down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for basically the last like four or five months since July. Wow, amazing. I didn't know that you were in... Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Our mutual friend mentioned that you were in Mexico. Whereabouts in Mexico is that? I'm in Puerto Vallarta, so it's on the uh, the Pacific side, sort of. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, it's in Jalisco, the state of Jalisco. Okay. Maybe uh, a few hours from, about four hours from Guadalajara. Is that um, is that north, central, or south? <laughs> it it's central. It's such a big country as well. I mean, I didn't even realize how big it was until I I visited. And then you saw, um, uh, you know, I'm looking at maps and things like that. It's the first time I've ever been to sort of Central America. I've never been to South America either. Um, I've only ever been to the States, I guess. So on this side of the Atlantic. So it's, it's, it was quite, how do you find the culture in Mexico? I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I've been coming down here for about 12 years now. And I, just the, the lifestyle, the people, it, there's something about just how much joy they find in the, the most oh. simplest things in life. And I'm, you know, I'm drudging through the nine to five in Chicago in cold weather, right. just being miserable all the time and, and harping on like the smallest things. And they're making me angry all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. the exact opposite down here. Oh, they're much more carefree. Yes, much more carefree. Yes. Uh, much more open. I mean, this has been probably the best three, mo- three four months of my life, to be, to be quite honest with you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, I, I need some of that carefreedom in my life uh, as well. So I'm actually going back um, around the 3rd of January 
for a month. I'm just trying to stay away from Scotland. Don't get me wrong. I love Scotland, but I love Scotland like April, May, June, July, August, September, sort of maybe October uh, when it's uh, at a temperature that is tolerable and people are out and happier. Uh, I think that the weather in the winter really has a grim, grim effect in people's moods. Plus, Scotland's really locked down, whereas um, where I've been in Flor Florida, Mexico, relatively open, like, you know, there was cafes open, restaurants open, yeah. and what have you. Where where in Mexico did you do your retreat? It's in Mazunte, which is a lot, apparently quite a lot of people go there as a tourist destination, which is funny because it's not really... It's not really that big. It, it certainly wasn't touristy when I was there, but apparently when I go in January, it will be because everyone goes down to down during these months to escape the winter. I'm not the only one with that idea, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And what? So what was it like in Scotland during the the lockdown? How bad was it? Well, it's quite an interesting thing. It's like during the first weeks, I was like, oh, you know, I, I was like satirically posting on on facebook like if you don't enjoy the lockdown like you don't enjoy your own company or you know and stuff like this like i, I regret now because because i thought it was only going to be like a couple of weeks i didn't agree with the lockdown but i was kind of joking being like you know the the worst thing about the lockdown is we can't go out for a pint to celebrate it you know i was just kind of like being a troll and now i'm like oh god i can't believe it because um I thought at most it would be for a couple of months. Around the summer, they did start opening up. It was really cool because they dragged tables outside because they had rules about capacity. Um, they dragged tables outside bars that had never had outdoor seating. And everyone was sitting outside uh, on the sidewalk. Um, you know, you could have a pint of cider, beer, glass of wine, whatever you're into, uh, mojito. And I was really, really enjoying my social life when things opened up again. Then I had a special visitor um, and at the end of her stay, they started started to lock down again. Um, they started stopping uh, restaurants opening after 6.30, just like before I left. And I was like, do you know what? I'm so glad that I'm, I'm getting away from here because it's just kind of like a depressing predicament to be in I mean there's only so many times you can go out and walk around the block to keep your sanity and the uh, and actually they were saying uh, at the beginning of the lockdowns you were you were mandated you're only allowed to have one walk for exercise and one walk to go and get your shopping groceries as you call them um in the U.S. uh like you're at weren't actually meant to leave the house more than twice a day go figure so um I don't know I I I can't believe that this has gone on for as long as it is, and I can't believe how willing people are, and um, how how people are cheering for the destruction of their own lives. Yeah, that that was one of the the biggest surprises to me as well. I thought you know once the weather got nicer, summertime, people would be resisting this a lot more. Right, and man, they they are perfectly willing to just sit at home like vegetables waiting for, I don't know, a vaccine or somebody on TV to tell them that they can resume their life again. It's just incredible to me. Yeah. And um, the hatred that you get for having a contrary point of view is breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, 
even I, I got flamed a fair bit just for posting the details on people who who were dying from other things than COVID. Like, um, so I, I'm thinking, like, I, I, what is it? Like, do are if one thing is people are afraid. I, I'm sure, but the the few I. It's it's confusing to me that people who consider themselves like anti-establishment. I I know it was a different left from when when I grew up. Like when I grew up, is getting further and further away. But you know the the left was all like fuck the government and stuff like that. And now it's like the left is like whatever the government says is good. And like um I'm bewildered. Um uh you know to the lack of the lack of skepticism especially because this has been going going on for so long another thing is they you know the government's giving people checks in the in the uk they were putting people on furlough and things like that so i know in a sense one they're being bribed and there's some kind of there's some amount of people who would probably prefer to stay at home and collect a check than uh, go out to work not everyone though and then but there's also uh, the main thing is if you just shut down the economy, but you didn't let people work, then you know they'd starve. But because they're giving these this magic printed money, people don't actually know what the economic effects of this are because they're being pushed off into the future with their magic printed money. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm bewildered at how much people are willing to tolerate. What are you? What do you think? Yeah. Well, it, Why, at least in the, in the U.S the the left has just gone completely bonkers in my opinion and it is amazing that they've gone from being you know anti anti the man to cheering them on and i think that at least within the last few years it's really gotten bad because of donald trump mm. Because he was, I mean, he was like at the head of the executive branch or whatever, but anybody that was within the main establishment of uh, our government that was anti-Trump, the left would automatically cheer on. So if somebody from like the, you know, um, Nancy Pelosi or something like that, or a CIA operative starts trashing Trump, they'll cheer them on. So they think that they're resisting the government by being very anti-Trump, but but he's just one person within this huge apparatus. And the the rest of the apparatus that's going after that one guy, they're all of a sudden cheering him on. And it's it, it really was something impressive to see. I I, I mean, I don't know. I'm almost at a loss for words to yeah. describe like what has been going I, on with um the, the left in America. Now I don't know much about the left over in Scotland. Is it pretty common? Oh, well, they're just kind of taking uh, they're Scotland's more left than Britain is, than England is. It's like um it's pretty social justice warriory in places and very, you know. So being a socialist is seen as a good thing in Scotland, definitely amongst young people. And that's always been the case, even when I was at university. But it was a different left. I feel like they had a different character. Um, obviously, during the war on terror, during the Bush years, the war on terror was centre of the bullseye and the surveillance state. You know, they were complaining about detention without trial and stuff like that. 
But um, that's nowhere near the centre of the bullseye anymore. It's all identity politics and definitely, I guess, they're economically to the left. But it's weird because, you know, we have a conservative conservative government and they claim to hate the Tories. Um, the uh, And then we have another parliament in Scotland where I thought uh, the, the first minister sounded like a dictator when she was on TV saying what, uh, you know, telling us what's what and what the measures were going to be, which, by the way, were passed unilaterally without a vote in Parliament because they gave her extra powers to deal with this. So she could just basically unilaterally dictate. Not that, you know, we love, you know, democracy or parliamentary democracy or it's a perfect system, but they usually put up a pretense of of actually having a democratic process um, this, you know, the state usually tries to validate itself by these democratic process, but all of that's gone out the window. No one seems to notice. No one seems to care. It's it's um, it's very bewildering, especially when you you know when I'm looking at the data and I'm seeing the lockdowns. You you look at all the places that locked down and to varying degrees, and all the places that didn't lock down. There seems to be no correlation whatever between lockdown and COVID deaths. And we don't even know if the COVID deaths are the real COVID deaths because, you know, as we've heard, they're counting anyone who's died with COVID as of COVID, as having died of COVID. You know, we don't know anything. And and the thing is, people, if you didn't, I've heard people say, if you weren't watching the media, you wouldn't even know that there was a pandemic going on. That's how, I don't know if that's true or not. The thing is, no one knows if anything's true because it's all like smoke and mirrors. But what we do know is that um, it, what we're being, what the authorities are saying, is not congruent even with their own figures. So you would think, in this, it's like you're living in an episode of the Twilight Zone where everyone's just pretending that reality is not as it is. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, the same thing with the mask mandates. You, you've probably seen those charts where it's like you, you can't tell where the mask mandate went into effect. Everything, there's no correlation between that and the spreading of the virus. And you can do it within just states or countries. And nobody seems to be, nobody seems to care about it. They just keep, you know, parroting that yeah. wear a mask, follow the science. And- and if you say that, they attack you. If you just say, well, look at the charts, there's no correlation between mask wearing and, um, you know, uh, uh, mask mandates. And, you know, they, they flame you. I know that people are resistant to changing their opinion. I mean, I think that's the thing that really scares me about the future is because people have a lot of opinions that are going to be forming policy it's not the fact that people have wrong opinions it's the fact that when you present people with better information they don't go oh that's interesting i didn't know that um let me see let me look into that they they get angry at you this scares me it's but it's a bizarre reaction i mean they get so emotionally invested in in this lockdown, in the virus. And I guess maybe at this point, now that they're what, nine months into this, they can't, they can't bring themselves to, to admit that they were wrong. Um, it, it really is pretty unbelievable. There are places though, 
to your point where you could go outside and if you weren't watching the news, you wouldn't know that there was a pandemic. There is a surf town that's about an hour from where I am. And I've been going there like almost every weekend because it is like COVID does not exist there. There, There's no, um, no masks like to go into restaurants or anything like that. Everybody's just having a good time surfing. They're going to the beach. They're eating at restaurants. They're going to bars. They're talking to people. And it, it is like a, a time capsule back to just a year ago <laughs> where life used to be normal. Guys, you never forget your first love, right? And for me and this podcast, Peddling Fiction, our first love is our first sponsor, our oldest and dearest sponsor. And that, of course, you know, is Lorenzotti Coffee. Guys, if you have not bought any Lorenzotti Coffee yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's premium Italian coffee brought right to your door by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs who came together over strictly their love of coffee and their desire to bring that taste of Italy back across the pond. It comes in great packages. It looks good. It tastes even better. They've got all sorts of different options for you in terms of the quantity you want to buy. If you want to buy in bulk, you can do that. If you want to buy one tin, you can do that. However, if you buy, I think, at least two tins of their coffee, you get free shipping. So I think you'd be crazy to pay for shipping this day and age. But there is nothing better, especially rolling into the cold, dark winter that Joe Biden keeps talking about. Nothing better than starting your morning off with a hot cup of of premium Italian coffee. Get your day started right. It tastes like freedom. Go to Lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION for 10% off. All right, let's get back into the show. And um, what uh, is, what's it like where you are? It's a little more, um, little more strict with um, these idiotic policies that they come up with. Like, my building here, I have to put the mask on when I walk through the lobby. Um, they take your temperature if you go to like the grocery store and you got to wear a mask everywhere. Things like like the regular protocol that they that seems to be pretty normal, I guess, across across the globe. But everything's open now. So, um, okay. yeah, I mean, you can do anything you want. You just at some places you have to put a mask on when you walk through the first 10 feet and then apparently you're OK. Um, they did try to, they did a two week thing where they closed everything at eight 30. Uh, that was like a month ago. Um, and I think it was just, it was around like Halloween and Dia de los Muertos. And I think it was just their excuse for trying to control that. So they did like another two week, we're going to close things down temporarily. Um, and that's when I started going to that surf town a lot more. <laughs> Right. Okay. And what are you here? Like, do you get any exposure to regular people and hear their views on things, COVID or necessary or anything? Yeah. So I've, I've met, I've actually met a few anarchists down here, which has been, which was very surprising because normally um, I, I, I just run into like um, either locals or Canadians or something like that. And to, to run into people that are, that are very anti, I mean, I guess it's because of the situation. Like they came down here for the same reason I did to sort of get away from all this. Um, but you do get, you do see people, you know, that are walking, walking down the street, wearing a mask with the face guard and the goggles and everything like that. So it's, 
we got it all down here. Um, there's a, a wide variety of people. There are, there's a much older population around here too that, that come down and they retire down here. So they're a little more um, careful ab about the virus and things like that. Um, it, it's interesting. It's, it's, very, it's a very eclectic mix of people. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. And um, what kind of things, what kind of conversations do you find yourself getting? Um, are you on social media? Do people infuriate you in social media with their ill-informed positions or are you in a sort of libertarian echo chamber as we yeah see if you don't start in a libertarian echo chamber you end up ending up in one anyway because the people who don't disagree with you eventually get in an argument with you and delete you or vice right. versa yeah well i i definitely follow a lot of non-libertarians um i try to avoid getting into like twitter spats and things like that yeah um I, i've done it a few times and it's just it's sort of like playing a uh, handball against the curtain or something. It's just very unsatisfying. You never really get anywhere and you just get frustrated. Um, so I basically just use social media to promote the podcast and, and post memes and things like that. That's about it. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's wise. I try and avoid getting into discussions. It was really useful when I first became a libertarian because you help re you help um, come against objections and refine your opinions and hear where people are coming from. But, you know, after a few years, you've usually heard people's objections to most of your positions. So it's, it's not like you're typing it out going, oh, I'm really learning from having to reply to this. It's more like, you know, I've typed this out before. Yeah. Yeah. And you came for, you came to libertarianism from the left, right? Yeah. Yeah. What was, did you have like a, a red pill moment where you, everything sort of clicked into place or was it a gradual process for you? I guess there was a red pill period that, that kicked off a gradual process. Okay. So one of the things, definitely a catalyst was sort of Ron Paul being anti-war because I'd never seen it. I thought, you know, if you're on the right, you're anti-war and if you're on the left, you're sorry, if you're on the right, you're pro-war. And if you're on the left, you're against the war and against the surveillance state and what have you. And that was uh, normal. And then he, so, so just having a conservative that was really against the war and then a bunch of, I had a YouTube channel where I, was, I didn't put out a lot of videos, but I was sort of putting out some videos from what you'd say maybe a progressive perspective i wouldn't say it was like hard left I, I believed in a market economy i just thought it should be very regulated and there should be lots of social services so you know i don't know maybe the stereotype of denmark or sweden um uh, like so from that uh, i had a bunch of libertarians gate crash my videos and send me here and there and i wasn't an easy sell but i think over over the course of a year or two, I just kind of went down that rabbit hole, watching lots of videos and my uh, position migrated. Whereas uh, I, I kind of remember there used to be a meme that said, I used to be a minarchist until I ran out of excuses. And that was uh, one that only, uh, I guess, libertarians would understand. Um, I feel like I ran out of excuses for the state. So once I saw the economic argument, um, 
once I saw that the state really didn't make things better economically uh, for people at the bottom of the economic ladder, um, I really got the principled argument that, you know, don't hit people, don't take them their stuff. But it took me a couple of years of really learning a lot about economics to be convinced of libertarianism because it wasn't exactly on the level of who will build the roads, but it was more like, you know, is this really just like, is this a really just, is capital, you know, are, are markets, is capitalism a really just system? And I guess I, I saw more and more whenever there was corruption in the corporate sector, it usually led back to government. So there's usually a link there. Yeah. How did you, so were you living in the United States or like, why were you following U.S. politics? Uh, I guess in those days, you know, we believed there was a great awakening happening. You know, there was like, there was the anti-war movement and then the the uh, opposition to the Patriot Act. And we had similar things going on here because we participated in the war on terror and we had um, we we had new anti-terrorist laws come in that were looking totalitarian. And there was a swelling of resistance to that. So it was um so 2008 was the first time that Ron Paul ran. And we were still in the midst of that. Then, you know, um, Obama came along and all those uh, activists disappeared. So, uh, and then in 2012, there was another thing and it was, oh, it's exciting. And so it still looked, it still looked maybe up until then as if like, oh, maybe people are waking up to what's going on in the world. And um, yeah, now I think, now I'm, I'm less optimistic about that. I feel like people thought, people, um, I think the sociological conditions are bad, you know, for liberty at the moment. And that doesn't mean, I mean, we'll see what happens. Do you know what I mean? I guess things can change quite quickly. They they certainly did. They just changed in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, I, I hope we can reverse this thing, turn this ship around because you, you're absolutely right. The, you know, the Bush years when the left was anti-war and anti-surveillance state and resisting the Patriot, that was like the best they've ever been, mm. at least in my lifetime. And yeah, Obama coming in there, that was another thing that just sort of, um, it just sort of broke them. They didn't know mm. how to handle it because he's mm. he's got the silver tongue. It's very charming. He's continuing all the, the wars that they were against, but he was doing it mm. In a, in a very nice way or, you know, portraying yeah, it in a very yeah. nice way. And, you know, he was a, a minority. So he like checked all these boxes for him. And I think their heads just kind of uh, exploded. Yeah. And I know that people on the hard left, the radical left were the only, were actually the ones that the people who disagree with us most in economics were the ones that were still criticizing Obama for those policies, you know, but the problem is, they're saying they're they're saying oh no he's you know neoliberal he's uh, part of capitalism Obama's so bad because he's part of capitalism not because he's a massive statist. Right. So yes, it's I think the the problem is I, I think more and more the problem is that people aren't really prepared for life. Like you know they're they're not if people aren't 
if people are coming out of school with not enough skills to get a minimum wage job, then they're not exactly going to have a favorable view of the market, right? Then um, yeah. then there's all these this other stuff like, um, you know, you, you need to choose your job, you need to choose where you live, you need to choose who you're married. I mean, that, that sounds great from our perspective because it's, yeah, you've got the liberty to do all these things, but those freedoms are new. You know, a few hundred years ago, you were born where your parents were born, you did the job your parents did, you died where they died, you um, married who they said you were going to marry. So people have a problem, problems facing their, their responsibilities and they blame the system, the system, and uh, the system, they conflate that with capitalism and the market. Uh, that's my view, you know, that's my psychological theory as to that can explain quite a lot of of the hatred of the market. They don't actually understand that the market created the wealth that they enjoy. The people are suffering for their freedom, not for their bondage. If they were suffering from their bondage, then they'd they'd want um they'd want something done about that. You know, they'd be slavery re-abolitionists. Um the fact that they're suffering from their freedom um means they want maybe they want to be controlled more. And maybe this isn't happening on the conscious level. Maybe it's happening on the subconscious level. Stuff like that is interesting to me at the moment because we've come to the point where it's so hard to change people's mind. You want to wonder why are people so resistant to changing their mind? Like, why are people not open to their ideas? You know, we maybe need to answer that question first before we start spreading our ideas. Yeah. And it is, I mean, I definitely think you're onto something there. And it is a really just a, terrible thing that we're doing to to the youth of of the world where they we give them this formula where it's like you go to the government school and then you go to college and you basically get indoctrinated further there you go into debt to do that and then you come out with basically a mortgage payment and no house and you're qualified for nothing you got some like worthless liberal arts degree or something like that and yeah then they're you know, they end up being bartenders or something like that. They get a job that they could have had without going to college mm. and yeah. they're, they're struggling to get by and everyone's talking about capitalism. You hear all these, mm-hmm. especially right-wing politicians talking about free market capitalism, which nothing could be further from, from the truth, but yeah, that, that gets blamed for it. Yeah. They don't understand. Yeah. And it's, uh, doing and if a, you know, you're get you're underachieving for your intelligence or, you know, or you think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm intelligent. I should be doing better from capitalism because I'm much brainier than most of the people around me. But you're right about that. It's, it's, and people don't understand. Like if you say, if you said, oh, I'm not for government education, like that, how, try selling people on that. It's like almost everyone you speak to says they had a terrible time in school or the school should be reformed. But they're like, oh, you know, what if people, what if, if you had freedom of education, you know, what if, you know, really religious people sent their kids to a really religious school and indoctrinated them. And the, the, the irony is everyone's being fucking indoctrinated in a religion and the religion is called statism. The thing is, it's like, there's so, there, people don't, cannot conceive of how amazing education would be by now if the government had stayed out of it. I mean, imagine a hundred years of the free market at work and education, learning the best techniques, the best methods, 
um, trial and error. One school invents a new method that's really good, and then all of the other schools copy it. And you know, another school um, produces another method in a different area, and they they cross they they cross pollinate each other. Instead, as you said, we've had this mo monolithic thing where here's the formula. You go to the government school. And, and we've lost that. We, we don't know what we've lost. Yeah. And there's been, I mean, think about it. There's been like no advancement in education. We still, we all go sit in a row next to like, you know, 35, 50 other kids and somebody gets up there and they talk to us or we read a book for an hour and it's just like instruction, basically. Hmm. There's been almost no advancement except that they went from like those projectors where they would write on the plastic and project it up <laughs> onto the wall to now we have like flat screen TVs that they that they can use. Yeah. And it wasn't them that it wasn't the schools that invented the flat screen TV. You know, it was the all the advancements that they've got came out of the private sector. Yeah. So I think it's really sad that people don't understand the the process of optimization that the market brings. Like they're like, oh, capitalism is a system of competition. It's not competition. It's the freedom to choose. You know, thank you very much, Milton Friedman. Freedom to choose. When you, most parents are going to look and see if they can get the best deal for their kids. Do you know what I mean? When it comes to their education, just the same way that people, you know, do research before buying a, a house or a car or, or, a, or an appliance, a washing machine, a dishwasher. People do the research. So, I mean, people do enough of the research that, you know, sometimes people from poor backgrounds save up money so they can move to a better area. And the only reason why they want to move into the better area is because the public school's better in that area. So yeah. just imagine on, on, on the market and how cheap education could be. They could have some kids teaching younger kids. They get more contact time. They'd find all, all sorts of innovations for, for being able to provide it to people who couldn't otherwise afford it. There's a guy called James Tooley who wrote a book called The Beautiful Tree. You can watch some of his presentations on YouTube. And he was saying that he went to some of the poorest countries in the world and the kids were going to private education because their parents acknowledged that it was better than the local public school. He's talking about third world countries and they were paying very, very little to educate their kids. Um, and th this blew his mind. You know, I think he was more of a status beforehand and it introduced him to the whole world of libertarianism because he saw what was what was possible with the free market and education. If they can do it in the most impoverished countries in the world lord knows what we'd have by now and that's what we need because we need to be raising generations that are capable of meeting the challenges of life and in that environment i think you would be you would be producing schools that that were aimed at that aimed at training kids to be able to meet the challenges of their life yeah yeah and that's i mean that's just one aspect of the economy or life or anything it's just education and if you take that same principle and apply it across the board i mean we should be living like the jetsons by now with like right. three-day work right. weeks and like robots doing everything for us <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's true lord knows how rich we would be on a on a free market um, and it, it, there's another point you know you said education is just part of life. Before they had the minimum wage and these costly labor laws that, um, you know, sometimes 
and definitely in America, you've got the health insurance contributions as well from both sides from from people's employees. It makes it expensive to employ people. You're not going to pay someone $15 an hour to train them because they're not making you any money. So what used to happen when it was cheaper to employ people is you'd learn on the job. You'd get on the job training. Now everyone says experience wanted. Well, how are you meant to get any experience where everyone wants? And why? Because it's not affordable to train someone for employers. So they're continuing this. They're continuing this. I don't know who they are, but there's everything stacked against people developing competency. And as long as people are incompetent, they're going to want the government to take care of them. Like yeah. it would be an interesting experiment to ask a progressive or a leftist, would you rather the state provided healthcare and education or that everyone, just hypothetically, would you rather everyone was so rich that even impoverished people could afford their own healthcare and education? Would you prefer, which would you prefer? <laughs> and see if they say, oh, I still think the government should provide it. Because in my opinion, they, they just don't understand the value of leaving it to the market. Let's take another quick break here and thank our newest sponsor of the Peddling Fiction podcast. And that, of course, is the Lucky Guy Bakery, churning out some delicious, handmade-with-love brownies. These are handmade, hand-packaged, delicious brownies that are the perfect gift for anybody around the holidays or for just yourself, right? I mean, let's be honest. Who doesn't want to indulge in a delicious chocolatey brownie from time to time, right? These aren't mass-produced in in some big factory somewhere. This is just a small shop run by one liberty-minded entrepreneur who's slaving away in the kitchen, making each and every brownie just for you guys. And they even come with little handwritten notes for that personal touch that just really puts any gift over the edge, you know, instead of getting some generic thing from some conglomerate somewhere. They have a variety of gift boxes, you know, you can mix and match and and put them into like a gift box. It's very customizable and they're not overly sweet. You know, I'm not a big dessert guy personally, but I do want a little nosh after a meal or something like that, or maybe in between meals. But I don't do a lot of the sweet stuff. Um, nothing I, I consume has like too much sugar in it or anything like that. These brownies are just super chocolatey and satisfying, but not overly sweet. They hit what they refer to as the bliss point, which is perfectly sweet, salty, fat ingredient ratio that makes something optimally delicious. If you love chocolate, these brownies are for you. If you have a gluten allergy, they have got a gluten-free version of the brownie. They've even got a vegan one that's gluten-free, soy-free, nut-free. It's called the hat trick, and it is a showstopper. And if you're not a big chocolate lover, some people don't like chocolate, okay. Well, they got cookie bars. They've got a blondie, a peanut butter bonanza, and people go crazy for this one. And then, of course, they've got the oatmeal Jackson. I love uh, like oatmeal cookie kind of things. Do you know my mom was hassling me about what we're going to eat for Christmas dinner and what I wanted for dessert? And me, being the stable genius that I am, I sent a bunch of these brownies over to my parents' house like a week ago. They should be getting there any day now. And 
we always have this delicious custard that they make over in Wisconsin. So it's called Cops for anybody familiar with the Milwaukee area. But I was like, Ma, you got a box of brownies coming, okay? You got Cops in the freezer. Let's do that. Some custard with some warm brownies over the top of it. I mean, come on. That is living. So don't miss out on the perfect dessert opportunity. What are we waiting for? Go to LuckyGuyBakery.com. Use my promo code PF20. That's P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 20 for 20% off your entire order. That's LuckyGuyBakery.com, promo code PF20. All right, let's get back into the show. Yeah, that would be, I I am going to ask somebody that question. (laughs) Yeah, get back to me and let me know what happens. Maybe everyone listening to the podcast can ask one or two of their progressive friends. There you and go. Then uh, we can we can collect the data and see if there's any funny stories. We'll have to do our part two to the show. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you're you're absolutely right. It's it's that old saying where the government sort of breaks your legs and then hands you a crutch. They're they're doing an unbelievable job of forcing people to just sort of dig themselves into these holes that they can't get out of. They talk about making things more affordable. They're going to make housing more affordable, college more affordable. Everything that they say they want to make more affordable, what they mean is they're going to make it easier for you to go into debt to, to get it. And then you're, you're saddled with debt. You, you come out, you know, you're now 26, 27, 28 after you get all your advanced degrees because since everybody's going to college, they've um, inflated away the, uh, you know, the, the purchasing power of a college degree. So then you have to get your doctorate or whatever. Hmm. And um, you're not in the labor force. You have no appreciable skills. And yeah, the employer why, now can't afford to you know, do anything with you. So they want two years of experience. Right. It, right. That's that exactly. And you're not allowed to take an internship because that's, you know, Oh yeah, yeah you can't work uh, for free. You're not allowed yeah, to work for uh, free. Raking people. So, what chance do people have to get on the job training? I, I, I don't know if I don't know if there's something wicked going on, or these are just the incentives that having a state provides. Yeah, you know, I go back and forth. Some days I think it's a big conspiracy, and other days yeah. I'm just like, no, this is just sort of the natural force of everything, yes. just pushing it that yes. way. COVID has made me more open to conspiracy theories. <laughs> but I, I when I learned about, I used to be big into the. Oh, here's something that I've not talked about on podcasts before. I kind of made a distinction. Um, I was speaking to my girlfriend about this between the. The big conspiracy and that there's conspiracy, right? Conspiracy theory, you know, that word is junk, you know, because it's just used to defame anything. But what about Jeffrey Epstein, for example? Everyone knows that he didn't kill himself. So there's conspiracies, but then there's the idea of the big conspiracy that what what I call, which is they're all related and there's some force, some nefarious force guiding uh, humanity from the shadows. Now, when I was in the a kid, I was really in to the big conspiracy but when i started learning about economics i became much much less conspiratorial because i thought that economic incentives explain most of what's going on most of what's going on but um you never know you know with this stuff uh you know maybe there is a big conspiracy i don't know i find it hard to believe 
because I find it hard to believe that people could be so wicked or could want harm for people, you know, because I don't want harm for people. So I find it hard to put my head in the mindset of someone who does. I mean, I know some people do, but we're talking about like even most psychopaths don't actively want to harm people. They just don't care if they do. Right. Yeah. So to imagine that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So I don't know. So to imagine, I mean, what do they get out of it? (laughs) That's what I want to know. What do they get out of of it? Yeah, I, I I I struggle to get into the heads of all these sociopaths at, at in our government as well. Like uh, in, in, in 1984, George Orwell says, "Power is not a means to an end; it's an end in itself." You know, for those who love it, you know, it's intoxicating the intoxicating feeling of power. So maybe it's that. Maybe they just like power. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly could be, and. I'm, they're they're getting rich off it too. There's a lot of economic incentives there as well. Yeah, I mean, but you don't get. Uh, it's not necessary to put the whole world on lockdown to make lots of money. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, the whole thing confuses me. Yeah, where do you where do you think we're headed with the whole lockdown thing? Do you think this is going to turn around once they get these vaccinations going out, or what? Yeah. Um, you know, I found it really hard to predict. I, I heard someone say that UK might lock down till April. I don't know if that's true or not, but that sounds crazy to me. So that that's not saying, oh, you've got the vaccine. Now we don't need the lockdown. I can understand why people are skeptical about the vaccine because it was rushed out. The company doesn't have liability. And um, actually I got a an article posted on Mises about it. Like Pfizer, the company that um, manufactured it, have a history of um, tomfoolery as well, you know, fraud um, and all sorts of things. Most of the big pharma companies do. And and the reason why, um, I guess, uh, it's so expensive to bring a, a, a drug that I guess once you've done, you've spent $500 million research on research, if the research doesn't turn out the results that you want, then there's a really, really, really huge financial incentive to engage in tomfoolery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I and don't know. You- I, I, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I mean, they might mandate it, but um, if it's not mandated, I'm not going to get it. I feel like I'm not in the demographic that needs it. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't like needles at the best times. But it's like people say things. I don't, I don't know. Um, I know that Jeremy Hammond, who's a libertarian, um, no, I don't even know if he is a libertarian. He's been called anti-vax for posting the government's own information on vaccinations. So he would like get posts taken down. The only thing he did was the New York Times, for example, would write an article debunking certain claims, claiming to debunk certain claims from anti-vaxxers. And he would post, here's what the New York Times or the Washington Post said. Here's what the government's own website on the risk of vaccination say. So the only thing he did was point out that the New York Times or the Washington Post were either lying or wrong. And that that's apparently anti-vax. So if anyone has, so the thing is, this makes people more conspiratorial. Yeah. When, yeah, I mean the 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 thing that I heard that was most compelling about I, I don't I'm not 
I'm just saying what I've heard. I, I'm not. I, I don't have a position on this. Was that one of the problems with vaccinations is that your if you ingest something through your mouth or your nose or even through your skin, you have your body has ways to deal with it. You can puke. You you get the runs. You sneeze. Um, but when you you put things directly into the bloodstream you're basically going straight to red alert and you know if there's some heavy metals or thermosol or formaldehyde or whatever things they're saying that are in um that are in the vaccines that are bad for you um you know if you if you drink if you drank a cup of draino you'd puke up you you wouldn't die but if you injected a tiny bit of draino into your into your bloodstream you die so that's what they're saying i don't know if it's true the other thing they say is that they might set safety test the vaccines individually but they don't like test they don't measure the results of the whole 72 vaccine schedule or whatever it is those are the most compelling claims of the anti-vaxxers i've heard i'm not saying that i'm married to them or anything like that i'm just sharing what i've heard so until people get like good solid answers to questions and um you know they're they're likely to continue to be skeptical because they've been given reason to be skeptical oh yeah yeah and there's been i mean there's a history of a lot of shenanigans going on with vaccines i mean in the u.s they injected a, a bunch of black dudes with syphilis telling them that they were vaccinating them i mean that actually happened so it's like right okay you don't even need to have conspiracy theories to be um skeptical of some of this stuff but what what really freaks me out about the the whole vaccine thing is that the government doesn't even have to mandate it 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 could come from private companies like they won't let you get on their plane unless you've been vaccinated or you can't go to a concert Ticketmaster came out with that thing like they're not going to let you go to a concert unless you've gotten a vaccination Hmm. But if the vaccines are effective, then you then I don't need to be vaccinated to stop a person who's been vaccinated from getting it. <laughs> that that to me is the one of the most compelling arguments. Like if, if it works, like you've been vaccinated, what are you worried about? You know, hmm. kind of the same thing with the masks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, does your mask work if, if I don't have mine on? Logic just seems to go out the window with all this medical stuff and people just get so emotional about it. I even just like within my own family, there's been like problems with the whole COVID thing because um, my sister is pregnant and she was she wasn't like too paranoid about anything until she got pregnant. But now that she's pregnant, it's like she wouldn't even go to my uh, parents house for Thanksgiving. It was just like her and my parents. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's one of these things. It's like, again, the big conspiracy ver- I remember this point um another argument against the big conspiracy is that um it might be quite nice to think that there's just a bunch of shady people in a room uh, planning this out and if we get rid of them then the world will be wonderful <laughs> but it might be the case that it's not it's not um a big conspiracy it's actually you know one of your neighbors is against you owning a gun another one of your neighbors is against you against gay marriage right another um one of your neighbors uh thinks that you should have a mandatory vaccination and they're all very nice to you when you meet them but 
it's like it's scarier to think that the control is just completely interpersonal and horizontal rather than coming from the top down you know it's 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 scarier to think that your friends are in a way your rulers or at least they're empowering the rulers with their ideology yeah it's almost yeah more comforting to think that there's like this new world order thing that in theory we could take down but if it's just everybody that's around you that hasn't been red-pilled it's almost like uh, reminds me of the Matrix, where right. Morpheus is telling uh, Keanu Reeves that you know, like all of these people, they're the ones we're trying to to unplug from the Matrix. But at the same time, these like agents can turn into any one of them yeah. and instantly become yeah. your enemy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's that's a beautiful way of putting it, and what a wonderful me- metaphor. It's like. You might be trying to save these people, but these people hate you. And I really think that people need to look at where they put their energy. See if you're uh, getting into debates with people who are not even open-minded to what you have to say. I reckon that you should probably stop because you don't have time and energy to fight with everyone you need to find those people that are like at least a little bit curious and say what well what about this you know even if they say well who will build the roads at least that's uh at least they're asking you a question yeah you know or if they're introducing you to information that you've not heard before but i don't think uh, we can we need to be very careful at how we go about this um because you know our time and is precious and uh we need to invest that in ways that are effective. Yeah, it, especially it hard when our to find movement's people, so small. It, it's very hard to find people that are receptive to new ideas. I don't know if you have any um, insight into that at all. Well, usually in my experiences, when you make friends with someone and they admire you personally as an individual and they like you, then they're more open-minded to what you have to say and they might be more open-minded to... Uh, new perspective if if they think you personally are affable or admirable as a human being um i think usually there usually probably there's some events i mean i know people who've come around uh, and uh, say for example i've known feminists who've become more libertarian because of the trans stuff mostly namely um people who are biological males being allowed into women's toilets or to compete. And that, that was the beginning of the, oh, what's going on here? Because it was in their own movement. And they, then they went down a rabbit hole. I think it's, I guess we need to think about what is, like the reason why I wrote the book Universal Basic Income For and Against is because I wanted to demonstrate how the state makes the life of how, how the state drives the, the cost of living through the roof and how people who were on low incomes would be much wealthier on a free market. I think libertarians need to focus on issues like poverty, like um, even like, well, you know, obviously Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams did quite pioneering work on like 
what uh, Walter Williams, who died recently, had a book called The State Against Blacks, which is uh, impossible to get a hold of. Like someone needs to uh, put up a PDF. Or, like, why is that not being republished? It's so contemporary. I mean, I know it doesn't have the right conclusions, but with the right marketing, they could probably get quite a lot of people to buy it. Stuff like that. I mean, if you can produce stuff showing that the state is um, harming minorities and doing everyone at the same time, that might be, you know, uh, someone should write a book like about how the Federal Reserve screws African-Americans. Like a libertarian needs to write a book about how the the Federal Reserve screws African Americans, and like maybe sell, try and sell that to all the Black Lives Matters people. You need to, yeah. You, uh, the other ones, of course, inequality. So, yeah, no, that that'd be that's not a bad idea. It it always amazes me when they're they're talking to you know the chairman of the Federal Reserve or something, and they're asking all these um. Uh, like black politicians will ask them like how they're going to steer monetary policy to help African-Americans. And I'm just like, they can't do that. (laughs) I mean, they they screw over African-Americans, but they screw over everybody at the same time. It's not like they can just direct monetary policy like that um, on that sort of minute level. (laughs) Yeah. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, uh, How people think that you could do that. Like just because it's obviously a, a sword that slices across everyone. So whatever they do is going to affect everyone. But um, yeah, I like that idea. I'm not going to be the one to write it. I've got, I don't know enough about the Federal Reserve and I've got enough start unfinished projects, but I challenge someone to write such a book because you never know, you might get a bestseller. Let's take a quick second and thank one of our other sponsors for today's show. And that is Zipix Toothpicks. Guys, if you're ever fighting a nicotine craving and you're in a place where you can't smoke or you can't dip or chewing tobacco is inappropriate or anything like that you're looking for an alternative this is it it's a toothpick that's flavored and infused with nicotine okay they've got six different flavors you can pop them in your mouth whenever you want chew on them suck on them get that nicotine fix that you're looking for without smoking anything without inhaling anything without having to spit anything out into a cup all that disgusting stuff that that people do that turns a lot of people off you know i mean let's be honest women do not like guys who smoke guys who dip guys who chew and seeing as most of my listeners unfortunately are male i'm still working on that and let's say you're out with a beautiful lady and you just had a nice dinner you have that nicotine craving but you don't want to go outside and freeze your ass off and come back smelling and tasting like cigarettes reach into your pocket pull out a zipix toothpick pop it into your mouth Maybe the whiskey-flavored one after a nice steak dinner or something like that. Get your nicotine craving taken care of. It's the great alternative to all of the other tobacco products out there. So if that sounds like something you want to do, if you're looking for a smokeless alternative to all of those other options out there, something that's cheaper than all of the other over-the-counter alternatives, nicotine gum, chewing tobacco, all that stuff, you know, these are going to be cheaper, they're very convenient, you can use them wherever you want, whenever you want, and nobody's even going to know what you're doing, they're going to think you're just picking your teeth or or whatever, so go to zippixtoothpicks.com, use my promo code FICTION, and you'll get 10% off your order, that's zippix, Z-I-P, 
PPIX toothpicks.com promo code fiction. All right, let's get back into the show. So what, um, what drove you to write the, the universal basic income for and against, was it strictly because you wanted to, to show that the effects of the the state on minorities and just low income? Yeah, I guess there was various things that I was bashing on about anyway, including how the state has increased the price of houses um, and how much richer everyone would be if they paid less for rent or on their mortgage and various other things that I'd written about articles because coming from the left, I was predisposed to write about things that left people care about like poverty so or inequality how the state like creates more inequality for example even though i don't think inequality of itself is necessarily a bad thing and you know you don't need the federal reserve making the rich richer and the poor less right less well off so stuff like that i was i'd already written a bunch of articles on it and then i was invited to give a talk on the ubi and so i i prepared my talk and then i used the transcription of the talk as a template for starting to write the book so i guess it let me talk about a whole bunch of stuff because because the way the talk went was right here are some of the arguments in favor of the ubi here here are some of the arguments against and here's the alternative the alternative is this so the the book has alternative libertarian policies that would help people on low incomes and i thought that was the kind of thing we need to talk about also to piggyback on the popularity of the ubi at the moment i i wrote the book so um, I thought that was a way of getting it in front of people. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I since since it first came out, I've revised it a couple of times. And uh, certainly if you if you got the free version from my website, the, the paperback, I definitely recommend the paperback edition because it's way, way, way better. It includes much more information and um, more up-to-date information. And I, I, I really optimize the text. But Whenever I found more arguments in favor of the UBI that I hadn't heard before, I added them into the book. So you'll 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 be anyone who reads it will be well-rounded. Like the, you'll be an expert on UBI, but you'll also learn a whole bunch of other things. The purpose of the book was to teach people to think economically, and because I took a whole bunch of examples and worked through it. A, then the consequences will be B, and then the consequences of that are C, D, E. I feel like people, by reading it, aren't just learning about UBI, they're learning about economics. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned, you know, uh, Frederick Bastiat, the seen versus the unseen in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, now that you mention it, it it does kind of read like a a talk that you were given, at least the online version. I can definitely see, I can definitely see the roots of that there. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, there were a couple uh, points that you had in there that were for the UBI that I hadn't really considered that I, I found pretty interesting, not, you know, compelling enough for me to change my mind on the subject, but. Um, yeah. and I'd like to know which ones those were, if you remember. Um, I, I think the ones where you talked about sort of um, fixing the relationship between uh, an employer and their, their employees, how that would sort of change that dynamic if they weren't, um, you know, afraid to leave their job and, and not have anything coming in. Um, the, the stuff about, uh, 
you know, women being rewarded for the, the, the work that they do, stuff like that. I, um, I hadn't really considered that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was definitely the, uh, the shorter part of the book though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, the thing is it's easier to write a, a statement then to debunk a statement. So the four the four sections bound to be shorter because I then need to debunk some of the arguments or or argue against them. I try yeah. I, I try to be as charitable as possible. Yeah, no, I think you did a really good job of presenting both sides of, of the case. Um yeah, most of the time I just hear about you know the fact that automation is coming and we're gonna lose all these jobs and what are these people gonna do? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you you really did a good job of of presenting both sides of the argument. It was it was very well done. And then I didn't get all the way through it because I was kind of skimming to see. Um, I only had like about forty five minutes or so to review the book. Yeah. But um, yeah, you go into how the government um, increases the, the price of housing and just overall cost of living, and that's they do that with everything. It's like, instead of trying to bring the cost of things down, they just come up with another government policy or something that increases the cost. And then they figure out a way for you to go into debt to afford it. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary world we're living in sometimes. Well, uh, Hey man, this has been a lot of fun. I think we're, we're coming up on about a little over an hour now. I don't know how much time you got. That's no that this was perfect. We got to hit on a lot of topics that I've I don't always talk about, but I've I've been thinking about. So that was really exciting and compelling for me. Cool, cool. But yeah, this I, is I hope fun. people, I hope people will take our question out to their lefty progressive friends and say. So if you had the choice between everyone being rich enough to afford their own healthcare and education or the government providing healthcare and education to everyone, which, which would you prefer so that we can see what people say? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, we, and we definitely want to hear some feedback. You can um, hit me up on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. What's your uh, Twitter handle or what's your social media? Yeah, at, at Scottish Lib Pod, I think on Twitter, Scottish Liberty Podcast at Scottish Lib Pod. I'm also there as Anthony Samroff as well. I don't use Twitter that much. The best pl- place to message me is on Facebook. And if you're interested in, if you like hearing what I had to say and you're interested in Scottish Liberty Podcast, you should check that out. If you don't know where to start, then um, message me on Facebook and I'll, I'll send you some of my favorite episodes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Um, How long are you you in Florida for? Uh, I'm going to leave on the 3rd of January. So it looks like I'm staying until the beginning of the new year. Where are you headed after that? You going back to Scotland? Yeah, I'm going. No, I'm going back to Mexico. Actually, uh-huh. I'm going to do. I'm going to do another retreat. I I, fi- I figure while things are locked down, I might as well try and be productive and, you know, working. Do, having that structure of like going to a couple of yoga classes a day, I feel like I'm becoming more healthy as a human being and more capable as a human being. And I, I can kind of write around. I can kind of write wh- and I work online, so. I'm seeing my clients. where where in Mexico are you gonna be? 
Yeah, I'm just going straight back to Mazinte. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity because some of my friends are still there. So even though I, and I also I'm on this side of the Atlantic. So even though I could go at another time, if I want to catch them, eh, some of my people, I need to strike while the iron is hot. Where Where is that approximately? Because I've never heard of it. It's really far. It's really south. It's south. Um, let me see. Um, I can't remember what the name of the state is, um, but uh, it's famous because, well, it was put on the map because when turtles became a very popular dish in Mexico, it was one of the main places where turtles were farmed. So it went from being like a tiny place um, to having its own slaughterhouse and stuff like that. But then what happened was at some point, they were really worried that people were over farming turtles. So there was a blanket ban on selling tur- selling turtles in Mexico. And now uh, in order to replace its uh, turtle industry, its uh, turtle slaughtering industry, it then became a place where they actually have a research center for environmental preservation of turtles and things like that so that's quite an interesting little story there um it's claim to fame it's in oaxaca is the name oh, of the oaxaca. state oaxaca okay. oaxaca that just shows oaxaca. how bad my spanish is ah, that's I didn't okay. know how to. so it's very south <laughs> okay yeah they got good mole down there what's mole have you ever had that's you've never had their oaxacan mole oh guacamole no, uh, it's just mole. What is it? It's um, it, it's a Mexican dish. It's sort of like um, it's a sauce, I guess you would say that they put on like chicken. Um, there, there's oh, right, a bunch okay. of different versions of it. It's sort of like the um, the Mexican equivalent of like an Italian a meat sauce, like a pasta sauce or something like that. Where like every grandma has their own version of it. There's like 50 ingredients. Some are made with chocolate. Um, others are made with like tomatillos and things like that. Mm. You should try it if okay. you're down there. Oaxaca is famous I, for their mole. I never saw it. I never saw mole advertised anywhere there, but I guess uh, when I go back, uh, I'll tell my friends and they'll have to introduce me to it. Yeah, ask around. Yeah, I'm going to, uh, I got to go back for Christmas for a few days to Chicago, but I'm fine right back here. <laughs> I think I'll be back by New Year's. Right. What what state did you say you were in again? I'm in Jalisco. Jalisco. Yeah. Actually, the um, just last night, the the ex governor of Jalisco was gunned down, like right down the street oh. from me here, at this um yeah this like restaurant nightclub kind of place. They, they Whoa, just went in. He, he was in the bathroom and they just popped him at like uh it's, like one thirty. It's like the Godfather or something like that. Yeah. So what I mean, um. Are you on the Are you on the coast? Are, yeah, are yeah, we're right on stuff? the coast here. Um, it's almost like directly uh, across from Guadalajara, I think. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's like a there's a if you pull up a map, you'll see like a bay, a big bay. Yeah, and it's right there. Okay. Okay. Great to get to know you, man. It was really fun conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This was a lot of fun, man. Anytime you want to come on, you're, you're more than welcome. All right. I'll let you know when I've got a burning topic. <laughs> All right. Anthony Samaroff, everybody. 
been a pleasure. Check out his podcast, follow him on Twitter and hit him up on Facebook. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. That guy, such a nice guy. I, that wasn't exactly what I had thought we were going to discuss when we initially booked him. I thought we were going to talk exclusively about his universal basic income book. So that's why I was flipping through it right before I um, started the episode, but he'd been, you know, when I talked to him and he's just like, you know, I've, I've talked that book to death. I'm a little sick of it. Let's just, you know, shoot the breeze, see what goes on. And uh, just seemed like a really nice guy. I had a great time talking to him. Um, I, I am going to start checking out his podcast a little more. I hadn't heard of it um, and, until um, Justin told me about it. So um, yeah, real cool guy. Great time. Um, that's the episode for today. Um, you guys will be hearing this just before Christmas. I won't be doing another podcast until, let's look at the calendar here, um, probably the 28th. Uh, um, I'll try to do something on the 28th or the 29th, depending on how my schedule is. I already booked my flight back to Mexico. So I will be back here on the 31st. I'm not, I'm not wasting any time. I'm going to get rid of, uh, all, almost all my worldly possessions if I can, and just come back down here. But, um, so we'll do something on the 28th. And then before I leave, I'm going to do the um, technical chart analysis um, webinar thing that I promised you guys. So um, if you are interested in that, I need you to email me. Email me at um, pedaling at pedalingfictionpodcast.com. Okay, send me an email. Tell me you want in so that I know how many people I'm dealing with. I'll, I'll set it up and I'll, I'll send you guys a link for it. it it's a free thing. I'm just going to uh, go over very basic how to how to read a stock chart, things like that. Um, technical analysis, the stuff that I do when I trade currencies, but it applies to stocks, bonds, currencies, uh, cryptocurrencies, everything. All the charts are the same. The analysis is the same. The logic is the same. So I think it could be very beneficial for any of you guys out there that if you have money invested, which chances are you do if you have a 401k or something like that, you have money in the stock market and you're probably just um, relinquishing that duty to somebody else and have no idea what's going on. And so hopefully with this uh, just crash course in how to... Um, technically read charts, you can give yourself uh, just an idea of the language of the markets and how to um, how to navigate them. So like, it's going to be very basic, rudimentary stuff. You don't need to know anything. So don't be like intimidated if you don't understand even what a stock or a bond is. It, it doesn't matter. So um, it's, it's going to be completely introductory, very beginner friendly. I will break it down Barney style because that's how I had to learn it. Um, that's how I have to learn everything. So um, that will be sometime, I guess, uh, I don't know, the 29th or the 30th, depending on when I do the, I'll do it right at the day after the podcast or something like that. So send me the email pedaling at pedalingfictionpodcast.com if you're interested. And yeah, I think that's about it. Don't forget to, um, if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can go to pedalingfictionpodcast.com. And you can support us monetarily from there. That helps keep the lights on around here. And I, every dollar that gets donated through, through that um, goes right back into the show to help produce content and advertising and hopefully increase our reach a little bit. 
And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back after Christmas with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.